Today's guest is Richard Ericotti. We're not just talking about blockchain and cryptocurrencies and NFTs the way the West does, typically. What's interesting about what Richard Ericotti is doing uh, with uh, the Coin Network is this is something that's pivotal to the infrastructure that's necessary in Africa. And when you have a country whose biggest source of infrastructure for payment uh, transfers, exchanges, and just everyday living is supported by the cell phone companies instead of banks and other institutions that should that are more commonplace and taken for granted possibly on the West, you really start to look at how blockchain itself can be a game changer in other parts of the world. And in particular, the unique way that Richard Ericotti and his team are beginning to develop this. And if not for nothing, you're going to love this conversation because it's really unique and interesting to see how this technology is being applied. You want to talk about use cases in Web3? This is it right here. So without further ado, Richard Ericotti of Coin Network. Okay, so we have a lot of ground to cover, but I think one of the most important things that we could start with is exactly what you said because it's the perfect context. Uh, E-commerce, what does it look like in Africa right now? Um, E-commerce in Africa is uh, fairly fragmented. You know, uh, the basis of it is that there's a lack of trust, um, you know, trust around payments. There's a lot of cash on delivery uh, type e-commerce. Um, uh, and that's purely because, you know, how do I trust that my, I'll get my money when I send you my stuff kind of thing. And that then makes it very tricky to um, to really grow as an e-commerce business. You know, over the last year, couple of years, we've seen a few e-commerce businesses actually fold in Africa. And we think uh, it's because of um, how they've rolled out, um, how they've approached the society uh, in Africa. And, and and we think part of it is that there's a, a missing layer of infrastructure. There's an irony in it because Africa is a, is a, is a land of mobile money. Africans are very settled into electronic money, but not for uh, e-commerce as such is for day-to-day -day payments it's replacing cash payments you know people are standing next to each other but paying each other in electronic money so it's not uh, the, the geographic distance for payments um is not as great as it could be and it's purely around a certain type of uh, infrastructure that's required to be in place in my view in order to promote that kind of um, um industry and, uh, and we think, uh, we feel that we can begin to solve that. It's a big job, um, but, you know, we'll try. We'll give it a good go. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't think the American mind can comprehend just what that looks like, because what we know it to be is, well, we log on somewhere, we make our payment with our bank card, right, which is a whole other infrastructure that we take for granted, and then we make the payment, and then our stuff shows up, and that's just how life is. That's just the way it works. That's what we. That's how we know e-commerce. We log on somewhere, whether it's one of the bigger names or a smaller brand, or even going to the grocery store or what have you, and we expect that when we pay, our money is there and everything is, can be trusted, and it's just the way life is that's not the same is it no no it's it's not it's not the same and um and it's you see with the, with the banking system that's the system that's developed over a long time you know you've had uh, you know the card system the payments all the security built into it has also developed over time um you know you've got to remember more than 50 percent of africa is 
still unbanked. And, and Africans are trusting mobile phone companies who are not financial institutions to actually deliver, uh, you know, financial inclusion. And they've done a good job, you know, we must credit them for that. But they've managed to do it because banks deliberately excluded, um, you know, uh, the, the people from the banking system. Um, you know, I, I've had personal experience where I currently don't live in Kenya. I moved out of Kenya to, uh, I moved to the UK for studies and then, you know, stayed on. But um, my personal experience has been, I've lost several bank accounts because I haven't interacted with them for a time and, you know, they've been shut down or they've been charged to zero and then just disappeared. Uh, and that, and that uh, has been, you know, the banking experience with the Africans is not great. So you've got the banks who are not participating properly within uh, an economic system that has, you know, billions of people, 1.4 billion, I think. Um, and then because the money part of it hasn't been very well developed previously, all the other support industries, you know, the logistics, the 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 suppliers um, haven't uh, been able to develop their businesses around this trust chain of you know flow of money. So now with mobile money, that is now coming in. Uh, you know, Nairobi as a city has same day delivery. It's had it for a long time. Um, same day delivery is a big thing now in England, beginning to be a big thing. But in Nairobi, uh, it's been there for maybe a couple of years, a couple of years, maybe three years, um, and it happens. But Again, it's promoted by mobile money, and it still relies on the the sender. Uh, you know, the the you've got you've got a buyer, a sender, you know, a seller, and uh, a courier. So the courier relies on being paid by um, by the by the by the seller, uh, who then relies on getting a signature from from the buyer to then pay that you know, that last mile delivery so you know we're designing systems that will distribute payment based on uh you know using smart contracts to pay everyone at point of delivery so um the the, the seller will receive their funds the moment uh, the, the goods are collected um the buyer will the money will end up in a, like an electronic expo type thing and um so it will be distributed to the seller then the logistics person who collects it, once they deliver, they get the cut and the transaction ends there. So we're bringing in a blockchain-based system, a trustless system to promote trust. If you if you can see that, um, you know, by having this um, smart contract machine-driven um, program, we program the money and the money will go where it needs to be based on the program that's gone into it. That's how we're approaching it. And, uh, to make it work. Yeah, and this is the Koi network, am I correct? Yes, yeah. The Koi network is a, is a blockchain um, designed to support payments and another digital goods and services, you know, delivering digital value. Um, Koi network, uh, the, the history of it is that um, it's a product of card questions and conditions from regulators, uh, you know, specifically in East Africa, where we're building a payments platform. And uh, we previously tested using a public blockchain that the team had previously built were part of a Telus blockchain that we built many years back. And, but the regulators, um, you know, though they were happy with what we're doing, they were not happy about the public aspect of the blockchain. Uh, you know, there's private information, you know, financial information, and they're, they're quite keen to make sure that that's protected. And um, so we went back, redesigned our, uh, a business approach and um, 
managed to design the Koi network, which delivers all the experience of a blockchain, but doesn't have published information for how the tokens are moving around. So, and when I say tokens in there, we will have uh, two types of tokens. We'll have tokens governed by the ISO 4217, which governs the national currencies, and, and then the general tokens that you'd get within uh, crypto, for example. So the national currencies, uh, uh, regulated tokens, they've got very specific tickers and all that, and they'll only be issued to licensed organizations. So uh, the coin network is designed to meet uh, regulation as required in the areas where these dApps will deploy, uh, but at the same time deliver a full end-to-end -end blockchain experience for these regulated businesses. Um, you know, like when we deploy in East Africa, we will have the Kenyan shilling, for example, flown through the Koi network uh, by uh, a DAP that's uh, registered and regulated in Kenya to provide mobile money uh, services. Um, and that, that the full experience of mobile money service, which will be payments, uh, payments B2B, peer-to-peer, transfers, trade finance, and uh, even loyalty schemes, support loyalty schemes using digital uh, goods in terms of transferring value or recognizing entitlement to certain goods. What I love about this is I have the contrast of being out here, like I'm in Los Angeles, California, right? And, and it's like, there's a lot of conversation about, oh, should we have crypto and blockchain? It, we just, it's such an option and so many are trying to vie for it, but it's not catching the speed uh, because the necessity isn't there because we are just fine with the way things are, right? What I'm fascinated by, That's right. this is truly an infrastructure that seen in that light is almost essential for what it can do and how it can play such a core uh, uh, flow between all the different departments and all the different currencies. Cause there's, as you met, we were talking about this before we hit record the diaspora of like how much money is being sent back uh, and how much of it is still excluding those who send the money back home and what that looks like. I'd love if you could go more into that and sort of like what your vision is for where this what, what this one day could look like. Yeah, yeah, I can go into it. Uh, you know, uh, like you say, blockchain provides a certain type of infrastructure. Um, the way we're looking at it is that it will form the foundations of maybe, in, in the fullness of time, a super app in Africa, which provide uh, financial services as well as other things. And the way I'm looking at it, I'm approaching it from a commercial point of view, buying a payments platform from a developer provider costs millions of dollars. And because of that, uh, that alone is a limiting factor for anyone that wants to build into it. Um, and even if you did get it, uh, because a lot of the countries now have an element of mobile money, you know, first mover advantage has now settled in. And, and because of that, it's very difficult to break into the market in the way that would make it viable, especially if you've spent millions of dollars to buy this equipment. So we've looked at it and decided to go down blockchain and offer a sort of uh, blockchain as a service. Uh, then overlaid on that uh, remittance or payments as a service, just to lower the bar for anyone that wants to enter into payments. You know, Now they don't have to pay millions of dollars if they want to do it. They could come talk to us and they'll pay, you know, 
a minuscule amount compared to what uh, others would ask for. Um, but for me, the beauty of blockchain extends beyond that. Uh, you know, when we bring in the diaspora and things like that, the blockchain is available um, through the internet. So it's available globally. Um, if I give a quick example, currently the mobile money solutions are based on SIM cards for the cell phone provided by the telcos. So um, they're locked into the countries based on your phone number. You know, if you travel abroad, you quickly realize unless you've got a roaming package, your, 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 your smartphone, your phone, your telephone becomes more or less useless. And it's the same with mobile money. Once you've left the country, that's it. Um, you can use some limited uh, services, but for a telco to then uh, grow into a different country, they have to go into that new country and set up infrastructure. And we've got live examples of that. You know, uh, Safaricom in Kenya has recently moved into, some, into Ethiopia and they've had to rebuild the infrastructure over there. But now with blockchain that we're using, deployed on the internet, um, moving into new markets because of its ubiquity, um, you know, you set up a new currency and maybe, ge you know, geofence it um, to the countries, but it's available. And, uh, and then when you expand that vision to look at the diaspora, um, African diaspora, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but I can say 2 million Africans are in the Gulf currently. Um, millions more are in the US, Europe, and all other places. Um, but a single other, the, the ones in the Gulf, because a lot of those are new emigrants, um, the way they manage their money is that they actually remit back upwards of 90% of their income, purely because of how the employment works in the Gulf. You know, employers provide all other, uh, they provide accommodation, transport, things like that. So the, the, the emigrants there don't, uh, you know, they, they, they can afford to send more of their income back home. Right. Then you've got the Africans in Europe, in America, maybe they send uh, slightly less, but collectively they send a lot more uh, in comparison to the ones in the Gulf. But um, in order to do that, you've got third party company in the US collecting money and then they've uh, contracted a, a local delivery company in, in Kenya to then deliver the money and they've got this arrangement there. That whole arrangement costs the sender 10% of wow. the transaction. So when, when you're talking $51 billion going into Africa a year, you begin to see how much it is just disappearing in the supply chain. So we're thinking by having this blockchain, it's ubiquitous, it's, ubiquitous, it's available across the world. We can have an end-to-end -end experience where it's one distributed ledger. Um, and even if it's various companies involved, the cost of transacting within the blockchain will be quite low. So there'll be savings delivered there, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, an aggressive company could go as low as one, one and a half percent in terms of cost. And all that money will then be released, you know, so because I don't see the Africans sending five billion dollars less because they're paying lower fees. They will still send 51 billion. But this time, uh, you know, a good five extra billion will arrive. Into, into the continent, which could then be used for more stuff. You know, and it's important to note that the, the diaspora money now exceeds the foreign direct investment and loans that come into Africa. So, um, so it's an important uh, forex 
um, source for, for Africa. Uh, and that's why we're looking at blockchain as a way of joining up these places cheaply. It's expensive to build initially, but the long-term running of it is, uh, is quite stable. You know, it's front-loaded on cost and then it just drops away. And from, the, from launch, um, the, the, the barriers to entry are completely lowered. You know, we, we can afford to, 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 to even get into partnerships of uh, revenue share, for example, with, with, with dApps uh, where we, 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 we support them to get on the markets and then try and recover that way. And that's because we've invested initially into this very efficient platform that then delivers a better experience, but a very low cost. And therefore releasing working capital and extra money for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, what it's going to do, what it's going to do in terms of bringing money back into even these, uh, the average consumer's pocket to spend and to to just stimulate the economy is one conversation alone, right? Uh, Exactly. a lot of things float in my head as, as we hear this because it's such an ambitious project. Number one, what's the support looking like in terms of the infrastructure that currently exists and how are they viewing what you're trying to accomplish? Are you running into any challenges there? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as, as an innovator, uh, you know, perceived disruptive markets, um, obviously we, we've run into all sorts of headwinds. Um, the most significant headwinds have been regulatory headwinds. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the regulatory head. Uh, you know, blockchain is still, you know, fairly new science, if I could call it that. And um, and the association with crypto makes it very tricky, especially for regulators around fintech, because uh, oftentimes the regulator for mobile money is the regulator for crypto in these places. So we've, t- it's taken us three years in Kenya alone to speak to the regulator and get them on side in terms of... Um, understanding uh, blockchain and our, our approach uh, and how that would be beneficial. Uh, so that's been a, a learning curve for us and for them. Uh, but we're making we're making movements. We've received partial authorization in certain jurisdictions, which we're happy with. And uh, very soon we should receive full authorization to then uh, push forward. But we have several conversations with several uh, regulators. Um, other headwinds we've run into, obviously, incumbents. Nobody wants their... The business disrupted, you know, if you're making that much money, you know, that you don't 10%, want to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's human nature, you know, you want to um, continue creaming it. But um, the reception, we think, we believe our observations are in the markets we're looking at. Um, the users are looking for an alternative. They're looking for a better experience. And, um, and we're, we're not just coming in to try and snatch market share. We're actually looking to create new economic activities um, because if you look at the coin network some of the partners we we're speaking to and maybe i can mention one or two i have to be careful um but we've got like um a green uh green economy business that's looking to deploy on our platform and some of the things and one one day i'm sure you'll get to interview them and they will tell you more but one of the things i've seen they're doing is um they're trying to promote rewards for green activities you know if you're into recycling if you're into um um they've got something to do with corals um you know i can't get into the detail because sure, that's their sure. business but you know the, it, it will be rewarding to do green stuff things that we're used to you know to pick up some rubbish and take it to a tip uh, you know pick up plastic and other things off the beach and hand it over and you know 
you get this uh, green token. Uh, and, and our interaction with it is that um, when that green token hits our mobile money system, you can convert it to cash, to fiat, which you can then use um, uh, in the shops. Or, or, or better still, using smart contracts and swaps, the Web3 tech that we know so well, um, the user can use the, this green token to pay, but the transition, the, 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 the actual shilling is delivered into the merchant's wallet. So they never even get to see the green token. Uh, so the, the negotiation for them to receive a token and then have a settlement period is replaced by a smart contract, which is something that we're actively working on. Which so is the whole point, this, the, the whole point of it is to have trust not be in question whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and you know, you're looking at things like, um, so in terms of the headwinds, you know, you've got that, but then, uh, you know, we're looking at new activities, that's one, and there are a few others, you know, there's quite, quite a few others that we're looking to introduce. Uh, but then when you go back to the question of trust, um, you know, I've got to give a bit of history of how I got into blockchains. You know, my background, accounting, accountant by trade of many years. And um, one of my first jobs straight after university was um, doing bank reconciliations uh, for a major retailer. And, uh, you know, many times uh, it left me questioning my life choices in, in terms of being, it was one of the worst jobs. You know, if you're employing a new accountant, please don't give them that job because we may lose a good accountant from the industry because of it. And um, so I went through that process and then, you know, the, an accountant's job, especially, I should be specific, a management accountant, the ones that work in business, their entire job is mainly reconciliation. You know, they're reconciling the bank, they're reconciling the costs, they're reconciling uh, payments or reconciling income, you know, revenue. So um, that's that's the life of an accountant. Uh, so then, fast, you know, after many years of doing this job, you know, I'm so used to reconciling things all the time, I come across blockchain, uh, a ledger that, that is reconciled in real time. It's always reconciled in that. That was a, uh, a eureka moment of thinking, wow, you know, that I could do this. Um, maybe I should have thought, oh, this could take my job. But I didn't <laughs> because I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, Ah, this would make my life so much easier. And that's when I started looking into blockchain. And um, it, blockchain is changing the flow of money even within business uh, because you either have it or you don't. The reconciliations, the cash in transit, all those things go away. The retailer I used to work for used to have a line in the PL, cash in transit, which was. Um, billions of or millions of pounds i should say and it was so bad that they set up a bank just to manage that part of it and more other things so um so with blockchain everything moves in real time especially you know the coin network what we're using the antelope protocol um it's an instant transaction you know it won't take minutes like you know the bitcoins or ethereum or others it's instant the moment you click send it's arrived on the other side so um, so it takes away the element of reconciliation. We're building business processes around that. Um, one of them is how we're going to be settling commissions for some of our, our agents. Uh, you know, they will be able to settle commissions in real time as they perform the job, which as a business, um, that's working capital released. Otherwise, you know, uh, others, when they get into this kind of job, 
they carry out a reconciliation four to six weeks after the event. So, you know, as, a, as, a, as an agent, you've done a job and you don't get your money for four to six weeks, which is a long time, especially if you're a busy agency. Um, you know, that's money tied up. Um, but, you know, we've got business processes built around that where because our ledgers are real time, we can, um, we can manage that settlement in real time and no one will lose uh, any of their money. No, it's it's clear that this needs to happen in some capacity because of how much, as, as you've mentioned many a time here, working capital is being tied up. What that what's that what that's doing to the overall capacity of growth, right? Because capital delivers growth, exactly. and when it's tied it up, you're literally bottlenecking what's possible in an economy, right? So for me, I can exactly. immediately see that. So I asked about the incumbents and how they may feel about <laughs> what you're doing. And that's clear. And you know, I was almost assumed. Uh, what kind of infrastructure, because I imagine this exists on on, on a cloud, right? Uh, this exists in some capacity, use leveraging that. Is that becoming a challenge to scale up? Do you, What kind of partners do you need to help make this a reality is what I'm getting at. Um, well, we need data centers, you know, we need, um, Africa is still building these things out as well, you know, the likes of Google, Amazon, are only just arriving on the horizon in Africa. So um, what we're doing, we're actually, uh, our CTO has designed the hardware, uh, you know, because of the performance requirements uh, that we've got within our specifications. And no cloud provider can currently uh, give us that performance uh, without you know, what they call the noise enablers. Uh, but um, we've got our own bespoke uh, machines. And what we're doing, we're going to base them in the different countries as we roll out. Uh, so we'll have the nodes, and then those will be networked together uh, over the internet. And we'll have some backup systems in other places just to make sure they've got high availability. Um, the key thing we need is um, good data centers that have uh, good power supply and uh, strong internet connection. You know, I have to say Starlink has now arrived into Kenya, which is a good thing. Um, Africa is well served with um, undersea cables that connect up all the big cities, uh, you know, from Mombasa on the East African coast right down. There's a cable that runs down to South Africa and then up the Western coast to Nigeria and other places. So provided we're near these undersea cables, we'll be fine. So they're dictating where we're locating our, our machinery, um, but yeah, we, you know, we've had to build our, our equipment for now because um, the the data center provision is quite is quite bespoke. In one of the countries, the best data center is actually owned by the telco. I'm not sure how receptive they will be, um, <laughs> so we've had to take a view on that. Right. Yeah. It yeah. would seem like. Yeah. Um... That's the thing with innovators, right? Um, there's a few companies I've worked with fairly recently where I've seen that a lot of the incumbents, uh, when new technologies are coming in, it makes it more difficult for them to charge the prices that they charge to keep the market share that they keep. So how do we incentivize is truly the, the billion dollar question, right? Is Or the, yes. the billion pound question, right? Which is like, how do, we, how do we get them to see that the long-term gains are far more worth it? than whatever short-term uh, monetary fines they have right now. And if they care about the people, this may be a question more of ethics than it would be of monetary gains, right, at this point. Indeed, it's, like, it's like, what do you want to leave for the future uh, for, for your children and your children's children, right? That's Which is 
trying to speak to business people about the moral high ground is not always the best you know? <laughs> no no it's not but um it, it's an interesting question you know asking them what they want to leave their children and you know some of them will tell you a large a large want of cash <laughs> more than anything maybe that's what they're aspiring to but um interestingly africa is um it's quite cohesive in certain ways you know the unit of society is very communal. Uh, you know, I grew up in uh, the northwest of Kenya, in the highlands, and um, you know, there's always coming together for something. You know, you come together to raise money for, uh, you know, to buy something for the village or to um, to pay for someone to go and study abroad <laughs> and other things. So these things happen, and um, uh, and there's even a whole philosophy built around it called Ubuntu, which works. Uh, you know, we learned about it when we were in school. So. Um, the African person is more commun communal and well-driven to work together. Uh, but obviously we're working with uh, very commercial businesses that uh, may not share the same vision. But one of, the, one of our drivers is to try and get back to those roots. You know, still using Web3, some of the tools within Web3, the, 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 the DAOs, um, the decentralized autonomous organizations. Uh, you know, when I think about some of those um, community businesses or social enterprises that I saw growing up. These were DAOs. <laughs> they just didn't have blockchain tools to manage. You know, they manage using analog notebooks and things like that. So, um, you know, we'll be looking to produce, to develop some tools uh, that will include wallets and things like that where groups of people can come together, save together, uh, invest in things together, maybe even tokenize these assets for them so that they can you know, uh, demonstrate ownership for these and leverage those assets for other stuff. But just, uh, you know, give them, bring them into, into, into the new tech, but also make it easier for them to, to enter and exit some of these, um, these um, uh, societies. You know, in Swahili, they're called Chama, Chama, um, and any Swahili speaker would understand that. And it makes sense. Most people are members of these, and that's how they save. And this, has also plugged the gap uh, that's been left by the banks. Uh, because in Kenya, they're called uh, savings groups, SACOs, S-A-C-C-O-S. They've got so much money because the users have saved money, then they borrow from these savings clubs uh, to then carry out their day-to-day -day activities. So some of those we're looking to support using you know, turnkey wallets, uh, savings club wallets, and things like that to then promote that side of things. And um, you know, so we'll be striving to be more humane and a bit less commercial than the existing um, organizations. But we'll see how it turns out. For me, when I hear you share all that you're sharing in this conversation, I truly see this as the perfect testing ground for the use case of this technology and its and its implications in terms of what it can do to an economy. And part of me is almost sad that we have the built-in infrastructure already out here in the US because there's really no incentive. People, it's it's a plaything mostly to most people out here. There are some people who take it very seriously and are developing serious technologies. Yeah no one seems to really wrap their heads around it. You know, some people have heard about tokens. Some people have heard about cryptocurrencies. Uh, many have heard about blockchain. Some of them kind of understand it. They go, isn't that the thing we use for imports and exports now? You know, isn't it making it easier? Yeah. Yeah, sort yeah. of floating in the air. You know, a lot of people bought uh, NFTs, right? And, oh, look, I have a, I have a unique uh, 3D graphic <laughs> to my profile oh, image. Something. And 
and that's about that's about the majority of it right and then many people had a lot of crypto and they lost a lot of money or made a lot of money but all of that in contrast to very real implications in the day-to-day lives of people and what Koi Network is trying to do for me is such an incredible mission and, and such an ambition okay. that that's why for me, I'm like, what do you need data centers? I was like, okay, what else? Because if there's anything this show can do is, or this episode alone can do is capture that. So you don't have to go around doing the education over and over again, right? Here it is. Fantastic. It's in real time. So as we begin to close things out, I want to roll out the red carpet for you, Richard. And I, and I want to ask you, uh, what's the call to action for the listener? Where do you want them to go? What do you want them to know? Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate that very much. And uh, for the searching questions you've asked. Um, yeah, you see, when it comes to uh, solving problems, uh, my experience, and I'm glad I got into blockchains and got into projects, you know, like EOS and Telos. And these projects, what they did for me uh, as a person, my personal growth around them was, I was working with people from across the world. And um, I've got the benefit of having left Kenya as a teenager, uh, moved to, to the UK as a student, and then worked in the UK. So I still have my heritage. And I can, I can connect things that I witnessed growing up, things that I still see because I'm, I'm in Kenya quite often. And comparing that to my existing, my current life um, in a developed country, and then dealing with people from other developed countries, and again, others from uh, you know, less developed countries, and how we then come together to work together on these blockchains. Um, I've come to understand that we all solve problems within our context, right? So um, if you're in a society where the financial system is well developed, the public services are working, um, you probably be developing games, you know, you try to solve boredom, that's a problem. It's a real problem that needs solving. So you might do that. Um, you know, an NFT will be fun because of what it is. Um, if you're coming from a society where, which is something I witness all the time and it keeps me grounded because although I live in a very developed country, I've got friends, I've got relatives that live, uh, some of them in abject poverty. Um, you know, they've got no prospect. They haven't seen what I've seen. So they don't know that, you know, they're in that place. So um, the problems that they'll be solving will be very basic. You know, how do I move money from here to, you know, 100 miles away? You know, how do I um, um, make sure that my invoice gets there without being tampered with? Uh, you know, those questions. And so we're trying to use this really modern tech uh, we're trying to apply it in a, in a setting where solving problems like that, you know, NFTs, you're using it for profiles. We're going to use NFTs in trade finance, our invoices, our tickets, all the stuff we're issuing on the coin network, the NFTs will be that kind of thing. You know, the ticketing will be NFTs, the trade invoices, trade finance will be running using NFTs or some description or the other, um, or the NFT tech. Yeah, you know, some of them might be pretty depending on the business and how they want to do it, but that's how we'll be utilizing NFTs. Um, so that's how I see it. And I, I appreciate the differences in context and people doing what they can within their context. So for me, I'm privileged because I can see the developed world and what they're doing. And I'm, I'm, I know what's going on uh, in the developing world and what they need. And through my experience, I can bring certain things to them. And maybe in the fullness of time, you know, you come to Africa and find us playing around with NFTs because we'd have sorted out all the other problems. So in terms of what we need um, currently, 
Um, for me, one of the biggest challenges I forgot to mention was if, if, if getting the right business partners was a challenge because I could see them. They've got the skills that I know would would make uh, you know mass will bring big differences uh, on the project. And it took took a while convincing some of them to to join the project. And I'm glad they did. And we're now leveraging that expertise to solve these problems. And they can actually also see uh, where we're going. And you know they're more and more committed. Some of them are more committed than I am. <laughs> you know, which is quite a victory. So um, some of the things we're looking for are um, more expertise uh, because blockchain is quite new. Uh, we need uh, you know strong developers. We need uh, people that can sell the message. Uh, currently, as a commercial person, anyone that's been thinking about setting up a payments platform in Africa, for example, give us a ring. We'll help you uh, roll out. We'll make sure you don't pay millions of dollars to to roll out. We'll provide you the platform that will offer you the commercial proposition to, to be able to operate without pricing itself out. Um, beyond that, um, just uh, we also need to expand our network within the regulatory uh, infrastructure, you know, lobbyists and people like that. Um, just so that they can tell, they can see that we're friendly. You know, we, we want, we're, we're trying to do this for all the right reasons. Um, and to, to, to make it, uh, you know, so that at the end of it, um, there's an overall benefit for everyone and, you know, we'll all rise up. Um, yeah, I think beyond that, you know, we'll continue bootstrapping, which is what we're doing. Um, you know, if anyone wants to join us uh, in, in the effort, they can come and help us, help the bootstrappers. I was going to ask. Yeah, no, this is incredible. You're bootstrapping this. Yeah. Well, you would have to because many of the incumbents would be the ones with the capital. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, of the, one of the incumbents has a, like a $50 million marketing budget, uh, which is well beyond even our annual budget. But, you know, we'll get into the market. We'll work with them and see where things go. It would be, it's the quality of service and efficiency. That's where the rubber meets the road, I think, in my in my opinion. No, and, and that's why I love that we were able to record this conversation because, uh, you know, you. often you have a conversation between two people in blockchain, right? And then the conversation can get pretty, pretty verbose, pretty in there in the vocabulary. <laughs> like people start getting lost, right? I don't right. have to be someone that knows very much about it. I know enough to have a conversation yeah. where I can ask questions that I think are pertinent for any anyone that's who. Good. Who would, you know, but I have also never seen the light of day uh, of like a day's work in a developing country. I've I've been fortunate enough to be born in the U.S., right? And I know that that creates a big difference. So the questions I asked are going to be directly related, but I feel they're close enough that it creates the context where understanding can take place. Because if there's one thing I do know about blockchain and crypto and all these is that education seems to be the biggest learning curve, the biggest challenge, the biggest obstacle. And the amount of times you have to repeat and share what it is you're trying to do, it's just that's that's truly a work in itself. And, you know, this, I think, is the perfect form of or format for marketing and PR for uh, what you're doing, because, you know, I always say, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at PR. Right. But the way I that's always right. say it is if you can make the mayor in a certain city laugh. You did your job, yeah. right? That's, that's the way. I, yeah. That's the way I see it, man. And so, <laughs> so true. if this conversation can be 
taken apart into pieces and shared with the right people at the right time and more of these conversations in this kind of design with this kind of understanding and the intent behind it. I know that this mission is a matter of when, not if, you know, and I can't wait to see. That's what right. So I can't thank, thank you. you enough for stopping by. I think the, uh, is there a website that the listeners should go to, to learn more? Yeah. Uh, network. K-O-Y. Uh, by the way, Koi, Koi is, a, is, a, is a fabric from uh, East Africa. Uh, you know, we're looking to weave this financial fabric right through Africa. And that's where that comes from. So Koi.network is our website. Um, it's also going through transition as we become more and more corporate. So, um, you know, there'll be changes over the next two, three weeks. Um, so keep visiting the website and um, there'll be more information on there. Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, Coin Network is on Twitter and all the other major socials. And we've got a good, strong marketing team. Um, the tech team are also very, very good. It's because of them that we can confidently talk about all the stuff we've got. Um, you know, all credit to them. So, um, yeah, we'll keep building. And uh, we're looking forward to speaking to anyone that's interested in our project. And, um, you know, when we launch, you know, you're welcome to come visit us in uh, wherever we'll be. We'll be in East Africa, probably, or West Africa. And, um, you know, we'll let you know. And, you know, come down to Africa. I finally yeah. got my passport. I, it's, it's sad to say, but it took me oh, fun. 35 <laughs> years as an American to get my passport. Wow. Well, <laughs> I'm excited to it. say it. That's <laughs> no, fine. You know, if you have everything around you, you know, yeah, you, there's no need to. Um, but it's always good to travel and see and see yeah. things. And you're welcome to come and see us um, in, in Nairobi uh, whenever, oh, you're, whenever you're free. Yeah. Wow, Richard, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your knowledge, sharing your vision, and just being all around a stand-up guy, man. Thank you for stopping by.